The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. The Gospel of the Kingdom. The Gospel is the good news concerning Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, we find that the church was in the eternal purpose of God. And of course, the church is the kingdom. Some people say, the premillennialists, that the kingdom never has been established, that the kingdom is yet in the future. And to say it is in the future, I guess, is to say it's yet in the future. But they say that it's in the future. Uh, Christ came, he was not well received, came to his own, his own received him not. He came to his own things, uh, but uh, his own city, Nazareth and so forth. But his own people received him not. That is the Jews. And so because the Jews rejected him, he couldn't establish his kingdom, so he set up the vestibule of the kingdom, so-called the church. Well, the Bible knows nothing about that false doctrine. The Bible says that the church of the Lord was in the eternal purpose of God. And it is interesting that Christ said, Upon this rock I will build my church and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now notice that the word church and the word kingdom are used interchangeably. The church is the kingdom, and the kingdom is the church. And so Christ said, I will build my church, and I will give you, Peter, and the other apostles, Matthew 18, 18, that's Matthew 16, 18, 19, I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom. But what are keys for? Well, number one, they indicate authority. If I give you the keys to my car, that means you have the authority to go out and start Open the door and get in, drive that automobile. I will give you apostles the keys of the kingdom. Now, what does that mean? Keys open things. And so they open the door to the kingdom on Pentecost of Acts 2, right? In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we find that in the days of the Roman kings, Christ would send, Son of God, would ascend to the Ancient of Days. And he would be led, his coronation, before the Ancient of Days by the angels. Psalm 24, 7 through 10. And there would be given to him what? Power and authority and a kingdom. Well, my friends, in Acts chapter 1, record it, recorded, verses 9 through 11, Christ did ascend into heaven after he had been raised from the dead. And he was coronated. He was led before Jehovah God by the angels. And he was made king. He was given kingdom. Acts chapter 2. And did you know that those people that day were added to the kingdom, those who obeyed the gospel of Christ when the first gospel sermon was preached? In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, 
Paul said that you've been translated out of the power of darkness by the gospel into the kingdom of his dear son in whom you have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The only reason why you and I have the ability to be in this building is that this building's been built. The only way that the Colossians could have been translated out of the kingdom of Satan, the power of darkness, into the kingdom of God's dear son was that the kingdom was established. And Paul said, or John said, that uh, he had been translated into the kingdom, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6, and he was a companion in tribulation and in the kingdom with the seven churches to whom he wrote. And so notice that John was in the kingdom. It's impossible for the kingdom to be yet future and for Christ to be the king of it. In Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, the prophet Zechariah said that Christ would reign as king and serve it priest, as priest at the same time. In Hebrews chapter 8, we find that if Christ on earth, he cannot be king or a priest. If he would serve as priest and king at the same time, but he cannot serve as priest on earth, he can't serve as king on earth. And of course, that fits in Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 26 through 30, where our Lord said, Cursed be Konah, Jeconiah, Jehoiakim. No man of thy descendancy shall sit upon the throne of David and reign any more in Jerusalem or Judea. It is interesting that when you go to Matthew 1 and Luke 3, you find that Christ was a descendant of Conal. Cursed be Conal. No man of your seed shall reign anymore in Judah and prosper. Well, what does that mean? Well, since Christ was a descendant of Conal, then he can't reign on earth. Therefore, he has to be reigning in heaven. I wish I had more time to talk about that. But I want us to notice a very important prophecy. I appreciate the prayer. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, we find that in the fullness of time, Christ was born. Born of woman, born under the law. Christ lived and died under the law of Moses, but when he died, he nailed the law of Moses to his cross. 2 Corinthians 3, Colossians 2, 14 to 17, Romans chapter 7, verse 4 and other passages. And so when he died, he nailed the law to his cross so that he could bring in his law. Read all of the book of Hebrews and you'll see that we're under greater promises, a different law. He took away the first that he might establish the second. Well, my friends, when he set up his kingdom and established it, 
Well, then he had had to have a different law. Now, in addition to that, notice that he was born of woman. It is interesting that from Genesis chapter 3 on, you have prophecies concerning the virgin birth of Christ, the seed of woman. In Acts 7, 14, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. Matthew said that when Christ was born of the virgin, that had happened. In Jeremiah 31, 22, Jeremiah prophesied by inspiration of God, a new thing hath happened in the earth, a woman shall encompass a man. This is talking about the Christian age. You read Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and you see, this is talking about the Christian age. This is the time of the new covenant. And so a woman shall encompass a man. There would be nothing new about a woman hugging a man. There wouldn't be anything new about a woman giving birth to a male child. But what would be new and it never happened before, it had not happened since. That is a woman bringing forth a son without the agency of a man. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. And so here is Christ, born of woman, born under the law, in the fullness of time. Now in thinking about the fullness of time in which the kingdom was Established. I want us to turn to Jeremiah chapter 38, uh, I mean Isaiah chapter 38. And in Isaiah chapter 38, we read about Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah (coughs) was sick, nigh unto death, and he prayed to God for mercy that he might not die. And so in verse (coughs) 5, God said, Jeremiah, I I will add, uh, he was telling Isaiah to go say to him, I will add 15 years to your life. Uh, Or to Hezekiah. And so Hezekiah said, whereby shall I know this? Well, (laughs) I believe I was just taking your word for it. And I have an idea you would have. How do I know that? And so the word of the Lord came that sundial would go back 10 degrees, the shadow on the sundial. Now, if you're watching your sundial in the backyard and all of a sudden the shadow stops going one way and it, and it starts back the other way, kiss yourself goodbye. But this was a miracle. And so Hezekiah lived 15 more years. In Isaiah chapter 39, <clears throat> we find that uh, Merodak Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, heard that Hezekiah had been sick. So he sent an ambassage to Hezekiah to congratulate him for having been sick nine to death, but he was now recovered at least 15 years. And they gave him presents. 
After this ambassador was gone, Isaiah went to Hezekiah and he said, uh, what have they seen in your house? Who was that? Oh, that was, oh, that was Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan's ambassador. What have they seen in thy house? Oh, there's not a thing in my house. I haven't shown it. It didn't show him. He, see, he saw it all. He said, that's bad. He said, everything's going to be well with you in your days. But those, some of those of your descendants are going to be taken to Babylon and they're going to be made eunuchs in Babylon. Now that is the background to the book of Daniel. So if you would, turn to Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 1 in 605 B.C., 100 years later, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and Daniel were taken to Babylon, descendants of Hezekiah. And they were made eunuchs in Babylon. And they were sent to college for three years. Here are the brightest young men <clears throat> received the finest training in Judea, training to be the next king or kings. And they're taken to Babylon. They're made eunuchs in Babylon. They're put in college for three years. And you remember how that uh, the king said, you're going to drink my wine and you're going to eat my meats, unclean meats. And verse 8 says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meats and with the wine which he drank. And so they asked <clears throat> that the one that was in charge of them not cause them to have to do that. And he said, oh, no, let me tell you something. The king will have my neck. He said, no, try us for 10 days. And so at the end of 10 days, they were fairer than the rest of the eunuchs. And so they were permitted to eat uh, pulse or herbs and not to drink wine, but to eat, drink water, and so forth. At the th end of three years, they were graduated from the king's college. And the king saw that they were brighter than everybody else. And he told them, you're going to serve with me in my past. And so here's Daniel, one of God's preachers during this time, in the palace of the king Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who had taken the seed royal away from Jerusalem to Babylon in 605 and fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. And of course, in 597, you remember he took away the skills artisans from Babylon so that uh, they could not make weapons to defend themselves against Babylon. And also Ezekiel was taken to Babylon and he was God's preacher among the 
captive by the river Kibar. God had another preacher at this time, Jeremiah, who was among the people in the homeland. He was taken against his will to Egypt. About the time that Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed in 586 B.C. And the rest of them taken to Babylon except perhaps the poorest. Now why am I saying all this? Well, I am saying this to prepare you for the fact of chapter 2. And in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream. And uh, his spirit was troubled because he couldn't remember the dream. But he must have known there was some significance to that dream. So he called in all the wise men, soothsayers and Chaldean and Ram, or most of them. Of course, Daniel was accounted as one of the wise men. Meanwhile, he called these in and he said, uh, tell me what a dream and give the interpretation. And they said, oh, king. You tell us what you've dreamed, we'll give you the interpretation. He said, oh, no. You tell me what I've dreamed and you give me the interpretation. And they said, oh, king. Uh, uh, No king has ever asked such a thing of his wise men. But you tell us a dream, we'll give you the interpretation. Well, I can do that. You tell me what you dreamed last night, I'll give you an interpretation. But anyway, they treaded water, tried to for a while, and he said, let me tell you something. You give me the dream, and you tell me the meaning of it, uh, I'll cut you and your family up, families up into little pieces and make a dunghill out of you. Well, they couldn't do it. So he sent out... <coughs> his captain, and to gather up all the wise men in the kingdom and kill them. So Arioch, the captain of the king's yard, came to Daniel, verse 14. And he said, uh, come on, Daniel, we're killing all the wise men. Well, what's this about? Well, the uh, king had a dream. He didn't know what he dreamed. Couldn't bring it up. You know, sometimes what I dream is on the tip of my mind, but I can't call it up. And that's the way the king was. And uh, none of the wise men could tell him what he dreamed, give the interpretation, and therefore all of you are going to be killed. He said, wait a minute. How about making me an appointment with the king? And so he and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's their Hebrew God-fearing names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were their Babylonian false god names. I'm I'm trying to start a movement to call them by their Hebrew God-fearing names. But anyway, they prayed all night. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. 
And so they went in. Arioch, I imagine, didn't want to have to kill all those folks. Certainly probably didn't want to have to kill Daniel. So Daniel was led in before the king and and he honored the king. The king said, what did I dream? He said, well, you dreamed that there was a great kingdom and this kingdom was of, uh, was of gold. But anyway, you, you saw this uh, colossal image and uh, this colossal image had a head of gold, breast and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, and legs of iron, and feet part of iron and part clay. And you also dreamed of a mountain, and there was a little stone cut out of this mountain without hands, and that little stone hit the colossal image in its feet and destroyed the colossal image. And the colossal image had a head of gold, breast and arms of silver, and so forth, and uh, the, uh, the king did not say, oh no, that's not what I dreamed. It must have come back to him. He knew that was it. What does it mean? Well, this is what it means. Thou, O king, art the head of gold. He was very showy. Kingdom of Babylon. There shall a king fall after thee. He'll be of silver, and then there will be one after him of brass, and there will be one after him of iron and iron and clay, mixed with miry clay. And inasmuch as the clay and the iron don't mix the feet of part iron and part clay, it, this kingdom is going to be partly strong and partly broken. It's going to have inconsistent. It's going to have internal weakness. Although the legs of iron. And he said, in the days of these kings, all right, notice verse 44. Shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, nor shall the sovereignty be left to another people in the day of these kings. But it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, the gold, the silver, the brass, and the iron, and it shall stand forever. It's going to hit the colossal image in its feet, the little stone up there, and it's going to destroy the colossal image from scaplock to bunion. For as much as thou sawest that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, and the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. What does all this mean? The head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar. Gold is soft. If it's pure gold, it's soft. It's pliable, but very beautiful. You're the head of gold. And let me tell you something. Old Nebuchadnezzar was a powerful potentate. You ask uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Drawn into the fire furnace. You ask if he could get angry. 
But then, in addition to that, there's going to be one that follows, and that, is, that kingdom is of silver. You see, he was Babylon. It lasted for 70 years. But then, following after Babylon was Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia would last from 535, 605 to 535. Then from 535 to about 333, Medo-Persia. But then Alexander the Great, the king of Greece, came in and defeated Medo-Persia, conquered the world. He was pretty strong, wasn't he? Silver stronger than gold, but brass is stronger than silver. And then you had Rome after Greece. So you had Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Roman Empire. No one could stand in before the Roman Empire. It had great iron teeth. It stomped the residue with its feet. Powerful kingdom. Daniel said. But in the days of these kings, the kingdom of Christ is going to be established. I want to ask you a question. When did Rome cease to exist? 476 A.D. The, the, the God of Daniel prophesied that before Rome ceased to exist, the king of heaven would set up his kingdom. And my friends, that happened in the fullness of time, and that was 2,000 years ago, nearly. Those who are waiting for some future setting up of a kingdom need to go back and study their Bible some more. And they need to realize that not only the New Testament, also prophecy is very clear that the kingdom has already been established. And if I wait around for Christ to come back and reign on earth, I'm, I'm going to be found wanting because it's impossible for Christ to reign on earth. We've already proven that. Christ is reigning now. He said, I'm going to set up my kingdom and you apostles are going to have the authority to open the door into the kingdom. And in Acts chapter 2, you can hear the keys rattling as the apostles said, this same Jesus whom you crucified, you did it by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. You didn't catch God by surprise. God was in his heaven when you were crucifying Christ and saying everything is going according to pattern.
You crucified him, but God raised him. And the reason why God raised him was to sit upon the throne of David at the right hand of God. And this same Jesus whom you have crucified hath been made both Lord and Christ. You know what destroyed the Roman Empire? Well, prophecy said that the little stone cut out of the mountain without hands destroyed the colossal image, the last kingdom of which was the Roman Empire. You know who the little stone was? Jesus Christ. And the kingdom. It has been said that when the Roman Empire was persecuting the church, they were digging their own grave. The blood of the martyrs became the death nail of the Roman Empire. And when they killed the members of the kingdom, they were nailing the nails into their own coffin. Don't let anybody deceive you. The kingdom was established. The apostles in preaching the gospel of Christ opened the door into it. And that was a fulfillment not only of Old Testament prophecy, but also of New Testament prophecy. Because in Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, Christ said, There be some who stand here who shall not die, not taste of death, till you see the kingdom come with power. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Christ said, ye shall receive power to the apostles when that the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The kingdom would come with power. The power would come when the Holy Spirit came. And bless your heart, in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, we find that the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles on the day of Pentecost. And that's the exact day when they preached the gospel sermon for the first time. And that's when people obeyed the gospel and submitted to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You want to be a member of that kingdom today? Friends, don't wait on something that the Bible knows nothing about that supposedly is going to happen later on when Christ comes back and when he will supposedly reign a thousand years on earth over his kingdom, the Bible does not teach that. But if you want to be a member of the kingdom that was established nearly 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, just exactly where it was prophesied to be established, and just exactly the time that it was prophesied it'd be established, then won't you do what the people did on Pentecost? Peter said, 
This same Jesus whom you crucified hath been made Lord in Christ, ruler and the Messiah, king and the Messiah. They said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter answered and said, Repent. They already believed. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ under the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know how many people were added to the kingdom that day? 3,000. You can do that. Or if you are a child of God but you've heard from the truth through penance, confession, and prayer you can come back home. The gospel of the kingdom is the gospel of our salvation. Won't you come? Let's together stand and sing.